Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Out of the Fishbowl. And for this episode, it's important that you know, if you're not someone that knows me in real life, that I color my hair a lot or quite frequently. And so from purple to blue to orange to green, it has become a temporary part of who I am or maybe a consistently changing part of who I am. Breadfish known for having some kind of luminous shiny color in his hair and one place where i found that to be rather interesting is um, on this idea of, of social media i spend a lot of time engaging with people on issues of justice race homelessness treatment of women things like that online and and one thing that comes up so frequently with internet trolls or at least people who are disagreeing with me on a topic people having a back and forth argument when they run out of argument my hair tends to be the first place they go to because my profile picture on the Twitter is my luminous green hair that I used to have and so I'll be having this conversation with someone in this argument and they run out of a way to respond to me and they'll be like point ah green hair that guy has green hair disqualifies anything he's busy saying right now it's such a weird thing but it seems to be people's go-to like oh how can you take that guy with green hair seriously because his hair is green. And so that's, yeah, that's just wild to me. But it happens so, so often. And there's, there's various different ways in terms of how people distract and misdirect when they're losing an argument. And they, so they get personal or, or try to go on some physical aspect or whatever. And then you know you're winning the argument. But another time when my hair came up was on a bridge experience. So I work with Heartlines, values-based story-sharing organization. And we do an event called a bridge where we take away normally 30 pastors for two days and we do some intensive storytelling with them and so this particular bridge was at rocklands in simonstown and it was 30 pastors who were men and women and i think they were mostly black and colored pastors from what i expected was a kind of more conservative kind of space and i just had my hair colored for an event that was coming up i think it was comic con and so at the time, I think it was the luminous green and the orange hair. And so I thought, for me, I'm going to be presenting on this weekend. And this is a fairly conservative crowd. So I'm going to wear my beanie and cover my hair. Just to, just to at least get to connect with people, get to know them a bit, so that my hair is not the first thing that they see. Um, let them see that I'm barefoot and, and make judgments on that. But, but the hair might be a bit much. And so I covered my hair and, and we were going through the weekend. And I presented on the first night and we were connecting and stuff. And then another thing about this weekend is that when there is prayer, I've learned specifically in the colored community that taking off your hat is a sign of respect. And so I've always, for like decades now, when, they, when we're praying, I'll take off my hat first. And so on that weekend, I had to be super strategic about it. Wait till everyone has their eyes closed, take off my hat, and then get my hat back on just before everyone opens their eyes. And then on the Saturday night, so halfway through the camp, we'd just watched the movie Beyond the River and somebody closed off in prayer and as i was putting my hat on one of the women saw me and so we were walking back outside after the movie and she came to me and she said take it off i want to see what's going on under there and so i take off my hat and she goes why why are you hiding that from us and so i had a whole conversation with her and i explained kind of the mentality and the reasoning behind it and stuff and then the following morning i was doing a devotion for the whole group and so by that time, I felt like, okay, I've earned respect. There's authority. I've been able to, people know who I am. They know what I'm about. They know I'm part of a team. I've earned my space here in a sense. And so as part of my devotion, I worked in a moment where I kind of 
did the speaking that I'd done with that lady, explained the rationale behind it, and then I took off my hat. And the room burst into applause. Like people were cheering. I think people were standing up and going wild like I have never had before in my life. People loved my hair. They, they just absolutely just loved it. And later on that day, just as everyone was going, we're busy packing up, people are going home. So many people came to me, these pastors, these leaders that I thought were from these conservative spaces. And they're like, please, please, can I get a picture of you or picture with you? And so I'm doing all these pictures with different people because they wanted a picture of the guy with the green and orange hair. And so that was just so edifying and so uplifting. It was like they celebrated that part of me. That's such an insignificant part. Who cares about the hair color? Like it really is not a thing. It doesn't matter. But, but they just welcomed me into that space. Another place where my hair's come up is at Oakley, Primary, at Oakley High School, sorry, which is a school down the road from me where I often go help during exams. I help scribe or invigilate. And so I've been there for five or six years. And always a big topic of conversation is how I'll go dress dressed really smartly but barefoot. And so people comment on that in the middle of winter. I'm not wearing shoes or I'm wearing slip-slops. And the other thing that's obviously been a constant there has been my changing hair colors. And so my friend Jeanette, who's a teacher there, I once posted in the group a picture of what I looked like. And it was in between kind of hair colors at the moment. My hair is its natural gray. I'm preparing to go to Morocco. So I thought as I'm stepping into another culture that I don't really know and understand, let me not do crazy stuff with my hair. Let me not create more distraction. Let me just kind of keep it normal for a change. So my hair is like its normal gray color. And I posted a picture in the group and she said, none of the kids are going to recognize you. And then I went to the school for one of my sessions and one of the cleaning ladies who I've become good friends with, she loves me, we always have great interactions with when I go, she came to me and she was super bummed with me. She was like so upset, like this is not okay. Where's your hair color? And so those were just two kind of affirming stories of where my hair was a really good thing. And then in a story where other people have tried to use it as a bad thing or tried to use it as, as something to disqualify or something like that. And, and one of my favorite quotes, there's a comedian, deep thought guy, Jack Handy, who I absolutely love. And I think this is the quote that I first saw of his that led me down the rabbit hole of all his other amazing quotes. But it goes like this. Before you criticize someone, walk a mile in their shoes. That way you'll be a mile away and you'll have their shoes. And then John Wesley said this. We should be rigorous in judging ourselves but gracious in judging others. I love that. We should be rigorous in judging ourselves, but gracious in judging others. Charmaine Ford said, you never know what people are going through because each person you meet has a story to tell. So instead of being judgmental, just listen well. And then I stumbled upon the Scottish proverb that says, do not judge by appearance. A rich heart may be under a poor coat. Do not judge by appearance. A rich heart may be under a poor coat. And so to judge or not to judge, and are we who we appear to be, are going to be the two questions that I'm going to be exploring in this episode that's called Okay, so it's me, Brett Fish, and we are looking at this idea of don't 
be a mask hole. And I think that kind of terminology came about during the whole pandemic and all the all the colorful language and attitudes and all that about wearing masks and vaccines and all that kind of stuff. But back to the hair thing. And and let's start with this question. What or maybe who do we miss out on because of our judgments? And I want to take you to another story in the Bible. I know I like to use Bible stories because those are part of my history. And, and in last week's episode, we looked at the story of David and we spoke about King David. But another story that happens around David, which is such an interesting one, is when he's a little boy. David is a shepherd boy. He's looking after the sheep. We find out later that he has killed a bear and a lion that are both trying to tackle his sheep. And that becomes important later. But there's a time in the story of Israel where the prophet Samuel is sent to go and find a new king. God says, go to the house of Jesse because one of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And so Samuel goes along and he says to Jesse, hey, I've been told that your son is going to be the next king. So please bring out your sons. Jesse had about eight sons, I think. And so he brings them out one at a time. And the first son is like totally built and and just looks like a natural born leader. And Samuel is told, no, he's not the one. And the next one comes out and he's a full-on academic and he's got degrees and all the different things and he's told, no, not him. And then there's the chef and the social media influencer and each of the sons from the outside looks like an absolute perfect candidate for king. And yet God keeps saying to Samuel, nope, no, not him, nope. And eventually he runs out of sons. And so he says to Jesse, well, are there any more sons? Because God told me one of your sons is going to be king. It's none of these people. And Jesse goes, oh, well, well, there's David. And Samuel says, where's David? Oh, he's out there looking after the sheep. Well, go get him. And so even his own father didn't consider that David could be a candidate for king because he's just a little shepherd boy, even though we've heard he's a shepherd boy that has taken down a lion and a bear. So he, he has some credentials. But from his CV, from the outset, he doesn't, he doesn't seem very kingworthy. And this is what Samuel says to, to Jesse. You look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so when David is brought before him, God says, this is the one. And they anoint him and he goes on to become king. How many people do we discredit or overlook or ignore? Because from the outside, from what we hear about them, from what we see of them, from the differences between them and us, we, we measure them as not good enough. We judge them, we... We, we discredit them, overlook them. And, and how do we start changing that in ourselves? And, and if we think of that statement, you look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Is there a chance to change that? You look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. Last week we spoke about character and integrity. Who a person really is, not just who they appear to be. Another, another space where this has come out a lot is in pop idol, Britain's Got Talent, those kind of shows where you had people like Adele, Susan Boyle, I don't know if you remember her, and Susan Boyle was, was this oldish, older woman who, who came and stood on stage, and from a worldly perspective of what beauty is, of what attractiveness is, Susan Boyle had none of that. People looked at her on stage, she maybe looked like an old librarian, no offense to librarians, um, she looked like, like, who is this person? What is this person going to offer us? And then Susan Boyle opened her mouth and an angelic choir descended upon us all. 
and and time and time again it's really weird because those aren't the sort of programs that i should enjoy but i find myself often finding these youtube clips and i think more britain's got talent than pop idol because there's a wide array of the different talents that people have that i get excited about and attracted to but particularly time and time again someone comes on stage it's a really old person or it's a really young person or it's someone from the hood or whatever and, and the judges look at them and you can tell that they've already discredited them okay get this over with go ahead and then the person opens their mouth or they they show their skill or they demonstrate or whatever it is and the judges and the audience are just blown away and so it's this idea of i am not who you thought i was you look at the outward appearance i look at the heart how do we how do we change that in ourselves how do we how do we how do we get curious enough about the person standing on the stage in front of the mic that we're going to hear what they have to say we're going to we're going to invest in their story we're not going to discredit them but we're going to try and see and hear the real person what about the person standing at the traffic light begging money from you what about a colleague at work that that you just don't get along with what about somebody of a different race or a different gender or a different faith and you look at them and you make an instant judgment that's built on stereotypes or hatred or news stories or whatever it is. And instead of having curiosity, instead of going, I wonder what the inward appearance is. I wonder who that person really is beyond the hair and beyond the lack of shoes and beyond those clothes and that type of music and that lifestyle and that whatever it is. How do we get more curious about people? And I think there are two ways to view new people there's a way of suspicion and that person has to earn it so i'm going to look at you suspiciously you're standing on that stage you've got that mic you don't look like you belong there but if you earn it i'll change my mind and then the other way is to give trust and then allow people to lose it if they're not who we think they are so i'm going to trust that you are a beautiful person i'm going to trust that you are about life, that you are about justice, that you want the world to be a better place for everyone. And if by your actions or your words or repeated behavior, you show that you are not that person, then I will change my mind about you. Then I will maybe create distance or space or do what needs to be done to safeguard myself and others. But I'm going to start at the space of trust, at the space of curiosity, at the space of belief. And I know this is a really challenging topic because of things like abuse and rape and violence and all those kind of things. So, so we really have to be careful who we trust. Women in the world have to be careful who they trust. And I'm not suggesting putting yourself in a space of danger. These are nuanced, difficult, complicated conversations. That kind of stuff is so crucial and key. But I'm saying in spaces that are safe, where it doesn't hurt us to either choose to trust or to choose suspicion, to be able to give people trust, to be able to give people a chance, to be able to inquire and be curious and hear people's stories and, and wonder, wonder, what is behind this? What are their gifts and talents? What do they have that I don't have? What stories might they have to mesmerize me? What pain might they have that, that might resonate with my own? And to invite us to, to view new people from a light that says, you look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And this comes to mind in terms of some stories that I have of live meetings with Twitterer people. And I know Muscadel has changed it to X, but, but to many of us, it's still Twitter. And to me, it's always going to be the Twitterer. 
because that's where all the Twittering happens. But, but I have so many stories of people that I was friends with on Twitter for years and then got to meet in real life. And I'm going to mention a couple of names, but if your name's not mentioned and you're one of them, you are part of the list. There's so many of you. And I think of Arno. I'd never met him before, and I went up to Joburg, and we'd been communicating for the longest time on social media, and Arno became my chauffeur. He invited me to stay at a place that he was house-sitting when I didn't have a place to stay. And he drove me around to meet a whole bunch of other Twitterer people and some other engagements that I had. And we've remained firm friends since. Very different people, very different lifestyle, very different beliefs on things, but, but such a beautiful person and, and somebody who both of us have just been able to see each other so well and, and encourage each other when we're going through hard times, as both of us have. I think of, of Robin Porteous, who is not that anymore because she's married, and I can't remember her last name. Sorry, Robin. But Robin was another person. We resonated on areas of, of justice, things that, that she fought for or fought against or spoke up for. Like we kept on finding ourselves in those spaces. And it's like I resonate with this person and I finally got to meet her in Joburg. And it was amazing. It was incredible. We had a coffee. We sat down and chatted as if we were best friends. It was the first time we'd ever met. I think of Richard Noor, who was another one from Cape Town who invited me to go meet him at his factory and I ended up going and doing some Heartlines Father's Matter stuff in his factory and got to hear the amazing stories of how somebody who's running a factory is doing incredible stuff with the people there, caring about the people's lives, going above and beyond just an owner and workers and really creating opportunities for people to live their best lives, to discover life. I heard some incredible stories from Richard. I think of Teacher and Tackies, who I got to meet just a, a few months ago. And there are so many more of you that, that people have said online relationships, online friendships can't be real. And yet I've had that disproved again and again and again. I remember a conversation I had in Durban years ago where I just invited random people from social media to meet in the park. And we had a two-hour conversation around race with strangers many of them who are still connected and friends today, and many of them that I still connect with when I go up to Durban. And so there, there have been beautiful experiences of connection with people on social media. But there's also been some negative experiences, especially when you're on social media talking about race or justice or religion or homelessness or political parties or anything like that. There are people generally people that don't hide that that hide away from their real name so generally the trolls the people that make it hard for you are not people that are showing up as themselves sometimes they're bold people that do but usually it's fake names and profiles that will come on to hurt and to do damage and and one of those people for me was a guy called Vian Hutton who many of you that that have followed my journey that walked with will will know as the guy who and I think it comes from this, because I've wondered, like, the extent of, of the anger and the violence that this guy's had to me knows no bounds, and it, it's been super confusing. But, but it all started about an hour after I was having this conversation online where I was dissing the Cape Independence people, the people that want Cape Town to secede from South Africa and become its own country. And so I'd been giving that some grief, and then an hour later... This photo pitched up, a photo where I dressed up to go meet my sister at the airport, and I was dressed as a bunny, I think, and I had a sign welcoming Dawn to come to Cape Town. 
And this guy, Vian, had photoshopped the words out of the sign, and he changed it to read, hey kids, the candy is in the van. Another couple of days later, there was another photo of me that had been downloaded from Instagram or somewhere that, that had the slogan that said, hey ladies, this is the last face you'll see before the Rohypnol kicks in. Rohypnol being the date rape drug. So within, within a week, this guy Vian Hutting had called me a, a pedophile and a rapist, basically. And just continued to go on and on and on. And, and it was so interesting to try and understand where this had all come from, from something as hopefully as silly and ridiculous as, as just thinking that Cape Town shouldn't be independent from South Africa. And yet people on the internet find wild reasons to go rampant and become problematic. I mentioned Robin. Robin and her husband sadly suffered a miscarriage. And then in the same year, she lost both her parents in a, in a car accident. And both of those events, intensely personal, tragic, hectic things that had happened to her, that she shared with her online community because she found some sense of support and encouragement and, and facing horrific circumstances, she was able to have people that really loved her and cared for her walk alongside her. At the same time, people have used both of those incidents to throw back at her face. People have used the death of people she has loved because they didn't like her statement on a political issue or on a belief issue or on a justice issue. And that is disgusting. And, and I've been caused so much pain by seeing people that I love being treated so dismally. That stuff happens all the time. I don't have to tell you about it. People write evil, vicious things as anonymous trolls because they're too scared to own their words. And then you get those brazen <laughs> people that actually do own their words and just kind of own the hate and the violence. And, and I mean, <sighs> just even this week, we've had Gareth Cliff and the comments about being dressed as a turd on Halloween and all that kind of stuff. And, and there are people that do own the vile filth that they put out there. And then there was Gamergate, which was this whole thing that happened in the online gaming community that had to do with women characters in games and women were saying we want to be better represented in games. And, and men, because it's often men, right? It's almost always men, got really hurt by that. How dare women want equal represent representation in games? Like, what a stupid thing to get so hectically angry about. And yet, the anger and the violence that came out of those conversations, it became this huge thing. This was a couple of years ago when it was at its height. And I remember reading tweets from people that were threatening to go to somebody's house and rape their wife or their family or their mom or their sister, whatever it was. Like, that is the hecticness because of a computer game that somebody wanted women to be a bit more equally represented in. That is kind of the evil that exists in spaces of social media, which, let me remind you, are just a reflection of what's happening off social media. That, that people think these things, that people believe these things, that people do these things. And, and all this to say is that there are two options. We can look at that and we can go, social media is evil, shut it down. But if, if we shut down social media, then I don't get to meet Arno and Robin and Richard and Teacher and Tackies and so many more of you. I don't get to have those engagements. I don't get to follow you on matters that are important to me and get educated about 
what's happening in Gaza and Israel or what's happening in women's rights or what's happening in education or the politics of the country. I don't get to learn and grow and hear stories and celebrate your, your birthdays and your milestones and your anniversaries and your babies and, and all those kinds of things. And so shutting social media down is not the answer. But choosing how we engage with people. You look at the outward appearance. I want to look at the heart. And so there's this myth that social media, the online space, isn't real life. But there are always real live people on the other side of the screen. I mean, maybe not anymore these days that Muscadel's taken over. And anytime I write a comment, I get 16 women called Louise liking it, um, wearing skimpy bathing suits and having a link to a site I've been too scared to click on. But generally, for the most part, the people that are engaging with you on social media are real. Yes, it's not real life, but actually it's become such a part of real life that it is real life. And we forget that when we write hurtful things, when we send hurtful pictures, when we make statements as if another person was not hearing that thing, was not being touched by it, was not being broken down or torn down by your vicious comment or whatever. There are real people on the other sides of the screens. And so instead of banning the thing, we need to realize that as with many things, social media, the internet is a tool. It can be used to burn and hurt and inspire hatred and war and violence. Or it can be used to build and create and connect and inspire and network and educate and so many more things. And so the... The heart of this is not let's do away with social media. The heart of this is don't be a mask hole. Don't be somebody that chooses to use these tools as a way of breaking things down, but use, be somebody that uses it to build community, to, to bring equality, to fight for justice, to look for life to the full for all of the people around you. And... Especially I want to say this to the parents, because if you're parents of young children, the temptation is to ban your kids from social media, ban them from having phones or screens or TV or whatever, because there's so many dangers out there. And I want to encourage you, I'm not a parent, but I've worked with a lot of children and young people. And I think a totally better idea of going about it is to educate them, is to sit with them and work with your kids on how do we use screens well? When do we choose to switch off? What do we choose to not go and look at? If we can teach our children to have great principles on how to use social media well, then they'll do it always. If we ban them, the ban only lasts as long as the authority figure is there. The moment they go to a friend's house, the moment they're out on their own, they will be in those things, looking at those things, doing those things. And so rather, let's train our children in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Let's teach kids how to use social media well. Let's teach kids. Let's sit with, with difficult shows, like things that have problematic issues, and let's discuss them. And I don't think all kids should be watching all things. I think there is definitely a space for us to say, you are not ready for that yet. Maybe I think there's some things that nobody's ready for ever. But there's, there's certainly things we can say to kids, no, you can't watch that right now. Have a conversation with them about why. But there's certain other things we can watch with them and we can be having those conversations and teaching them how to do the thing well. And I think that's going to be so much more valuable.
another thing that I'm very aware of is, is something that I call the audience effect. That often I'll have conversations with people and it will be quite clear that I'm arguing with a troll type person who's really not going to change. And people often say to me, Brett, why do you keep going? Why do you go so long with that person? And for me, it's about this idea that the audience is always present. Somebody's watching. And so I don't expect that person necessarily to change. I hope they will. I hope that I'll influence them. I hope we can learn from each other. But, but there's always audience watching. And those are the people more likely to change their mind, more likely to be influenced, either by how I'm arguing, by my attitude, by the respect I have for the other person, by, by if I'm getting it right at not being a dick. Even though I'm having these strong arguments, the audience effect is so real. And so often I'll have those conversations and go longer than I feel that I should because I know people are watching. And I know this because people have told me. People have jumped into my inbox and said, hey, that conversation I was watching. Hey, you really helped me there because of this thing. And so always be aware. Like if you feel like you're doing nothing, if you feel like your words, actions aren't being heard and seen, people are always watching. People are always learning from you. People are always being discipled and mentored by you, even just by the way you live and speak and engage on social media. And so if you are aware of that, do it in a way that brings life. Do it in a way that challenges. Do it in a way that invites people into curiosity. And we should be winning people over with that, with curiosity, with, with questions, with engagement, not with F you. Oh, you don't agree with me? Well, you suck. Why do you think that way? What happened to you? What is a different way we could look at this? Why do you think that person, why, like today there was one about the people protesting and how could they protest on this day? And my question was, like, what is it taken and these are protests about what's happening in Palestine, Gaza at the moment. What has it taken for those people to feel like they need to be on the streets in this way to respond to what is going on there? So that's a question that will hopefully get people asking more questions and, and thinking about it. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Oh, that makes sense. Let me think about it. Rather than me just going, oh, you're wrong, you suck, just go learn, whatever. And so how can we engage with people knowing that people are watching so that they will have greater curiosity, so that they will start to ask their own questions, so that we can have engagement with people. And I love taking it offline. So let's have a conversation. Let's get connected online. But as soon as I can have a coffee with you in real life, that is what I want to do. Because face-to-face -face is a little bit more real. It is where you can read emotion and response and you can back and forth and it's a more beautiful thing. And, and I'm always open to that. But there can be meaningful things that happen online. And those can be spaces where we start and continue conversations. And the audience is always watching. And so the lessons that get learned are consistency over time. So here's, here's one final thought that I want to share just before I finish this episode. And this is not a complete thought. This is the, along the lines of not disqualifying somebody before I get to know them. But I'm thinking more specifically in terms of kind of dating relationship kind of ideas. And and maybe I can just throw this out there. Maybe that this is just some last kind of minute ideas to mull over and reflect. And if you've got comments, um, please give feedback on it. But I was thinking from the perspective of often, often when you are looking at someone to date, like we, we all have preferences. There are things that we think make somebody beautiful. And I think those change from person to person, I think they're very subjective. I think they can change depending what time we're living in, depending culture, community, all those kind of things. Like people, 
see different things as beautiful or as ugly or as attractive or whatever. And I'd love to think the ideal is kind of seeing a person and, and this whole idea of like looking inward at the heart and not on the outside. But I do think on some level there needs to be a sense of, of attractiveness. There needs to be something about a person that, that makes you want to be with them, that makes you want to be in relationship or walk with them and stuff like that. And I've been kind of trying to think about that in terms of how do you change your your way of thinking where we've been conditioned to look at the outside and so to look at what we think is pretty or hot or beautiful or whatever it is and be like, oh, that's the person I want to be with. And something that's made me really kind of reconsider that is thinking back to kind of previous girlfriends and crushes that I had, like so many of them, if not all of them, when I think of them now, I don't think of them as, as beautiful, as attractive and not because I'm saying that they're ugly. Please hear me on this. But but when when I was pursuing them, when I was in relationship with some of them, each of them were beautiful to me. And I'm wondering if being attracted to someone, being connected and engaged with someone actually changes the way you see them. And so maybe beauty on the outside, as we understand it, is not the first thing. But as you connect with someone, they become beautiful to you. It's this idea of beauty is in the eye of the beholder, that... Because it's changed. Because when, when I was when I was like seriously crushing or seriously romancing or trying to get with that person or being with that person, like I really thought they were beautiful. And now I look back at them and I don't think they're beautiful in the same way. And it's not again, it's not a judgment on saying that they're not beautiful, but but they do not hold the same kind of beauty or attractiveness to me. And I think that gives me hope more than it gives me concern because it says that maybe maybe there is a way for me to to figure out how to shut out the outward kind of what is beautiful, what's not beautiful, and just get to know people and discover the beauty that exists in people, discover the shared values and the connection and the heart for justice and compassion for people, which are all things that I find really attractive. And that, that in doing that, there might be an attraction to a person and that person might become and appear more beautiful to me after that. And I'm wondering, like I say, this is just me throwing out ideas. They're incom incomplete ideas, unfinished wonderings. Because I would hate the potential of, of people I could be with. If there's this idea that I might be in relationship with someone again one day, I would hate for that pool to be so small as to only be people that I look at and go, oh, that person's attractive. That person's beautiful. I want to be with them. What about people that aren't necessarily physically beautiful in the way that I think or have been conditioned to accept as beautiful. And I was having this conversation with a Belgian friend of mine, Svetlin, via voice notes, trying to explain it to him. And, and I think he thinks <laughs> things are completely different to me in this way. And I know there are people that, that, that see it totally differently. But but I think for me, it's the heart of this episode of, of, of and last week's episode on character and integrity. Those are really the things that attract me. I don't want to be with the most beautiful woman in the world who is mean to people or who has an ugly personality or is super judgmental or anything like that. I would rather be with somebody that is not considered beautiful on the outside, but that is the most attractive person. While at the same time, if I am in relationship with someone again, I want to find that person beautiful. And so I want to be proud to be with that person. And I, I'm hoping that the same thing will happen with someone with me. I don't think I'm a particularly 
beautiful specimen, but I'm hoping that if, if I get connected with a woman that the character and the heart and the integrity and the growth and the, the hope to be a better person and change the world, that those things will make me appear more beautiful or more handsome or more attractive to them. And so that is, that is the thought that I'm, I'm left with as, as I encourage us to, to just look at the way we relate to people, whether online or offline, because all of this stuff, I've spoken a lot of it in an online context, but, but don't be a mask hole is as relevant offline when you're dealing with people in pressured situations, when you're dealing with people in conflict situations, in, in the rush of traffic, when there's conflict in a shop or whatever it is, a colleague that you're not getting on with, things like that. Don't be a mask hole. How can we, how can we in, invest in curiosity and questioning and trying to find shared values and common humanity and how can we try as best as possible to get along with people around us. And this last quote has been attributed to Albert Einstein, and it's always really hard to, to know for sure whether he said it, but it's an amazing quote either way. It says, we must not only learn to tolerate our differences, we must welcome them as the richness and diversity which can lead to true intelligence. And so that's an interesting thought to go away with. We must not only learn to tolerate the differences, we must welcome them as the richness and diversity which can lead to true intelligence. And so I hope that as you, as you think about these things this week, I hope you'll share this episode with other people. I hope there's been things that have jumped out at you. I hope that we'll all be a bit more cognizant of how we are online and how we engage with people. And I hope we'll all be a bit more curious and adventurous in how we see other people, how we define people as beautiful how we are attracted to people around us. And so think upon these things and hopefully we'll all be led to true intelligence as we embrace diversity, as we embrace difference, as we seek to engage with the beautiful flavors and smells and sights of people and situations that are different to us. Have an amazing week and thanks for listening. <laughs>